From the construction of public health facilities, to sustainable sanitation development, to digital network expansion that enables e-learning, meeting changing infrastructure needs will be key to mitigating the COVID-19 crisis in Asia and the Pacific. Yet, pressure on government budgets and competing political priorities amid the pandemic could stand in the way of such breakthroughs. In this episode of Asia's Developing Future, renowned political scientist Francis Fukuyama of Stanford University and ADBI Dean Tetsushi Sonobe discuss the policy-making calculus for advancing infrastructure growth as a sustainable and inclusive recovery driver in politically charged environments. They address the issue during a recent ADBI webinar, which begins here with an assessment of the region's quality infrastructure demand and potential by Dean Sonobe. Before the outbreak of COVID-19, the Asian Development Bank estimated that 26 trillion US dollars investment over the next decade uh, is needed to meet those big demand from the European economies in Asia and the Pacific for quality infrastructure. Uh, you may wonder what quality infrastructure is. Uh, it's defined as infrastructure that promotes sustainable growth job creation, improved living standards, and climate change mitigation. For infrastructure to be quality infrastructure, it must be safe, durable, efficiently operated, green or friendly to environment, equitably distributed among regions, and useful not for not only for economically active people, but also for the vulnerable. The quality infrastructure requires good understanding of needs, deep insights into the consequences and impacts of infrastructure development on the life of people in different occupations, economic sectors, and the geographical regions. Quality infrastructure also requires ingenious planning by policymakers, strong commitment and leadership of political leaders, and good designs by engineers, high capability of constructors, good skills and devotion of officers in charge of operation and maintenance of facilities. It is a huge challenge to gather such professionals and give them right motivation. In addition, financing infrastructure investment is obviously another challenge. Recently, Asian Development Bank estimates that COVID-19 pandemic will reduce 9 trillion GDP in the world economy, and the two trillion uh, GDP loss in the developing Asia and Pacific. COVID-19 has added a new level of strain on government budgets. Commentators might say that if government budget is so tight, why don't we mobilize private sector investors? But in order to motivate the private sector to invest in infrastructure, the investment must be very profitable. So inviting the private sector to infrastructure investment is a good thing, but it requires high profitability. And increasing profitability is another difficult problem that can be addressed only by hard work and the ingenuity of professionals. So large part of difficulties in quality infrastructure development is human problem, or the problems of human capital and the incentives. I wanted to start by explaining why I, as a political scientist, got interested in the issue of infrastructure, because most people that deal with this uh, problem are either economists or engineers or uh, people in finance. 
reason that I uh, took this up was that it seemed to me, as uh, Dean Sonobe was indicating, that infrastructure is as much a governance problem and a political problem as it was an economic and an engineering problem. Uh, I think the basic problem for most countries is as follows, that uh, infrastructure is what economists call a public good. That is to say, it is something that generally benefits uh, the society uh, as a whole, and oftentimes private parties will not have an incentive to create it, and so therefore you need a public authority to build that infrastructure. Uh, the problem is that it also creates certain concentrated harms. Uh, you have to acquire land. You have to build a wind farm in somebody's uh, backyard. You have to uh, take land in order to build a motorway. And um, you have to disrupt you know, graves in a traditional burial site uh, uh, for an indigenous tribe. And so all of these uh, are issues that political systems need to reconcile. And it's not very easy to do that. One thing I would note <clears throat> is that in many developed countries, including my own, the United States, we really don't build infrastructure very well anymore. And part of the reason for that is that we have so many political players that can exercise a veto over any given infrastructure project that they become paralyzed. It's a, it's a problem that really all of us have to uh, deal with. Uh, it's a source of a great deal of corruption in the world because there's a lot of money involved in infrastructure. Corruption becomes a big political issue that delegitimizes governments and becomes a, a weapon in political combat. Uh, and so these are some of the domestic political dimensions of infrastructure. The other thing is international, because infrastructure has, over the last um, seven years, become uh, the premier arena for geopolitical competition. Uh, as anyone involved in infrastructure knows, safeguards are probably the biggest issue that makes these projects complicated. And so these are environmental, worker safety, political consultation, uh, you know, any number of, you know, good governance, any number of conditions that are put on a big infrastructure project, and they're put there for a good reason. Uh, I think that, for example, uh, the West used to build lots of dams uh, in the, you know, in, in much of the 20th century, up until the rise of environmental consciousness in the late 1960s and 1970s. And if you look at the rate of Western dam construction, it has uh, fallen quite dramatically. And it's fallen because uh, in many Western countries, there are very strong environmental lobbies uh, that look at the long-term consequences to watersheds, to indigenous habitats, to the livelihoods of people living in floodplains. And there's been a lot of political pressure to uh, restrict and sometimes uh, basically end uh, dam projects. Uh, and I would say that, uh, you know, if you look at the United States, uh, the single thing that slows down infrastructure in the United States um, right now uh, are basically concerns meeting, you know, various standards set in our national environmental uh, uh, quality laws that make the approval process for an infrastructure project extremely uh, long and complicated. And so when we talk about quality infrastructure, there's a, there's a kind of complicated discussion that I believe needs to happen. Many people in my country, in the United States, think, well, 
you know, it's the West, it's, it's the US or the World Bank or Europe that sets the standards for what's a high quality project because we have the most comprehensive uh, set of safeguards. And I actually don't think that's correct. I actually think that uh, for some very complicated political reasons, uh, our safeguards regimes tend to be overly restrictive. And uh, as a result, it's extremely difficult for Western project promoters to get things done. Uh, and, you know, again, the proof of this is the fact that we don't build infrastructure very well in Western countries, in Europe and in the United States uh, for uh, very, uh, very similar sorts of reasons. And so I do not actually believe that, let's say, the World Bank uh, is the gold standard for a safeguards regime. Last two issues, political issues I'll mention, uh, has to do uh, with the impact of COVID and then the question of global warming and uh, carbon emissions. Um, COVID, I think, you know, for obvious reasons, is going to probably affect a lot of the Belt and Road uh, projects, ongoing ones. There's already this year been a renegotiation of several big uh, uh, projects in Africa and in, in parts of Asia uh, because of the financial distress that a lot of the recipient countries have run into because of the COVID crisis. And I think that is going to um, continue to be an issue that will take several years to work out. The last issue has to do with carbon emissions and global warming, because obviously in infrastructure is one of the biggest uh, contributors to that. You know, so obviously the, the rich world has been the biggest contributor to carbon emissions uh, up till now. But if you look at the next 30 years, uh, it's the emerging economies that are gonna be the biggest uh, contributors. How you solve this collectively as a, as a, as a global community is extremely hard because there really are no institutional mechanisms for uh, you know, countries taking very large sacrifices to their own economic prospects. Uh, and so I don't have a solution for that, but I would pose that as a very serious problem. I completely agree with Professor Fukuyama about the, the choice of those uh, issues as uh, very important uh, or critical issues, and also the way of thinking of the importance of politics and also the uh, pros and cons. For example, the, those uh, infrastructure business set up too much or excessively strict rules and regulations. That would be a kind of result of uh, what we call regulatory capture. I actually think that there's an Asian approach to infrastructure that's different from the Western one where in certain ways, uh, China and Japan are more similar than they are, uh, more similar to each other than they are to, let's say, the World Bank, because, um, you know, the ADB tends to offer projects as a big package, the way the Chinese do, where the financing and the contractors and uh, all of that is, is kind of organized uh, ahead of time. Uh, whereas, you know, the World Bank insists that there be separate bidding on every single stage of the project and, you know, open source, uh, um, uh, you know, bidding open to, to, uh, to anyone. And I think, you know, the, one of the questions for the future is whether the ADB and, you know, other multilateral organizations can actually meet this challenge by taking, you know, the, the purpose of the safeguards seriously, but you know, modifying them in ways that are suitable to the local conditions of 
the countries that are receiving uh, the investments, uh, so that countries are left with some other choice other than, you know, um, other than simply going with the lowest cost uh, bidder. This has been Asia's Developing Future, brought to you by the Asian Development Bank Institute in Tokyo. See the show notes for the transcript and related material. For more information about us, please visit adbi.org.